All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Discover Ag. I'm your host, Natalie, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I am Tara, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And this is Discover Ag. And today we are bringing you our last and final, at least for now, documentary to highlight in our summer debunking series. And it has been so much fun this summer. Uh, I'm really actually glad we did this. It's uh, been really well received by all of you guys. So maybe it's something we'll do again this winter. I know so many of you have sent in suggestions for other films and different things that we could do. Uh, But if you're a new listener, go back to the beginning of the summer, back to June and July, because that is when we kicked off this series. And we had some really great debunking. We debunked Cowspiracy, Game Changers, and Seaspiracy. And then on the flip side, we highlighted some great films, including Sacred Cow and Beyond Impossible. But today's film we have, to which we belong, with the director of the film, Pamela Bull. Welcome to the podcast, Pamela. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we are excited to feature you guys. I think I got in contact with To Which We Belong Instagram page for a while. We've kind of just been following each other. And then I finally watched your film actually before we even talked about doing this debunking series. And then when I thought of a final, you know, third one we could feature, you guys instantly came to mind. So I'm glad we could, you know, connect and bring you guys to our community. I think the uh, discos are really gonna, really gonna love this. Um, I did want to start, though, kind of at the beginning, to which we belong is fairly new. You guys were released, was it 2021 or 2022? I think it was 2021. Okay. Mm -hmm. So fairly new. I mean, we've covered, you know, Cowspiracy was 14 years ago or however long ago. So I think go ahead and maybe just introduce um, yourself, this film, and maybe, you know, share a little bit of the origin story of this, you know, why in 2022, did you think this was needed? Why was this, you know, on your mind and heart to create this film? Um, I thought it was needed way before 2022. The thing that really brought me to make this film was that we're in a, we're in a bit of a pickle, right? Nobody wants to hear terrible news. Uh, The newspapers are filled with it. I did not want to see another film or another thing on TV about the disasters that were happening because our, our uh, globe uh, is warming. Uh, so, but what is the point of knowing that if you can't do anything about it, if it's too big, right? So I uh, happened upon a talk by Alan Savory on the TED Talks. He's in our film. He's kind of the father of holistic. That was back in 2014 or so. I was already in the middle of making another film. But that's how long I've been thinking about this film. And then we finally uh, went out and started uh, filming, shooting uh, back in 19. And then the pandemic happened and it was even more important. We used to be told back in school that you could a thousand years to build soil. Well, that's just not true. And this is what this, this film is about. It's about building the fertility of the soil, the water holding capacity of the soil, bringing those, uh, those back so that we can grow nutritious food, good food, and at the same time um, fix our climate issues and our water issues, which are vital. 
Wow, you said so I have so many things that I want to touch on from that conversation because you've really um, brought up a lot of really good points. Uh, the first being, so you grew up in West Texas, so practically next door neighbors with me over in Eastern New Mexico, which I I love yeah. that connection. Um, but you know, you talk about you know our cl- changing climate, and one of those things that I've noticed this summer, Natalie and I have covered multiple articles this summer about just changes. It, you know, whether it was you know in California the rains, or we covered even last week. Um, we covered Georgia peaches, that they've had a really tough year because of changing climates and that there's just differences. And, you know, as farmers, we're kind of on the forefront of that, of those changes and really experiencing that. And what I think, you know, one of the places Natalie and I have started with all of these kind of, um, whether it's the debunking or the highlighting is kind of our like first impression of the film. And one of the things I did really appreciate is that similar to some of the negative films about agriculture, you started with talking about climate change, the CO2, like a very kind of like doom and gloom. But then instead of demonizing farmers, like we saw in Cowspiracy and Seaspiracy and all of those other ones, Game Changers, You had a totally different focus and shift. I mean, it was an absolute paradigm shift for me that like it was like, oh, wow, like right away you set it up as the farmer is like the hero and how we can truly make these changes right now. And I think that is just a piece of this pie that has been missing for so long about how farmers. I mean, I know I've been saying it, I feel like for the last 10 years, like farming is the solution. Like we need to get farmers on board with this and, and really be able to show people how we can make a change. Mm-hmm. Yes, my uh, dad grew up on a farm in Ohio, Jewel, Ohio. And uh, I spent every summer there after we moved to West Virginia, because it, you know, it's four hour drive, five hour drive. My grandmother had a huge backyard garden composted. I mean, this is in my blood, if you will. But to demonize the very people who have the solution is just bad, just wrong. Farmers are heroes. They're out there growing our food. So why would, I just think it's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely a message we can get behind Pamela. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. Um, Sticking to the beginning of the film though, the very first family or feature you kind of dove into was actually a farm that Tara and I have visited ourselves. It was Barney Creek Livestock, uh, Megan and Malloy. They're out of um, Montana. And so Mm -hmm. it was really fun to see them. But, you know, like Tara said, you kind of dove into, you know, positioning farmers as the key part of the solution very early on. And the other thing you kind of positioned really early on that was then kind of, you know, woven throughout the rest of the film. And I think a very important concept of the film, if not probably the most important concept of the film is soil. And I think that was something that you really focused on and brought to life when you were out visiting with, you know, Megan and Malloy. And even you had Nicole Masters there who was really renowned in kind of that area. So maybe let's just dive into that, you know, your thoughts on, you know, soil as the solution and really, um, you know, how farmers, why we're positioned, why you say we're part of the answer, you know, our relationship with the soil, kind of all of that. Well, see, back in the day, um, before the 40s, farming in this country was amending the soil. Primarily, you used compost, you used uh, animal dung to uh, keep your soil uh, fertile. And then we got uh, excited 
for good reason, because the yields were great, about fertilizers. So the problem with fertilizers, nobody's bad here because everybody was trying to do the right thing, is they don't, uh, they don't actually create deep fertility. Soil is a living organism. You have to feed the microbial life. We have to get back to the biology. Once you start to really feed the microbial life of the soil, the soil aggregates better. What that means is it can hold more water. So if you have 1% of carbon drawdown from the atmosphere where, guess what? It's not doing as much good. It's a greenhouse gas. It's like being in a greenhouse. That's our problem, by the way. But if you can draw down just 1% per acre by not plowing, by planting diverse crops, we can call them cover crops, if you will, in between your row crops, or running cattle and other uh, herbivores uh, properly across the land, that's the other piece of this, and it's huge, we can actually reverse climate change. It really is crazy, like the power that is in our soils and that farmers, what they can do, you know, to to bring that carbon in. I mean, I got my degree in soil science. And so, I mean, you know, when you think about organic matter, just improving every percentage point that you can gain in organic matter is exponentially better for everything, every piece of it. And I know Natalie's going to dive into the organic matter and more of the soil conversation in a minute, but I want to take us in a little bit of different direction. So obviously this documentary was a very like pro animal ag and incorporating animals back into our land to improve that organic matter. Um, I mentioned when we were off air that I watched this with my dad when we were, I'm on family vacation. So I watched it with my dad and my dad is a conventional dairy farmer. I'm, my husband and I are conventional dairy farmers and Natalie beef ultimately goes into the conventional beef supply. And one thing that we, you do highlight in this film is some of the challenges we have with mono you know, monocropping, monoculture cropping, that just one type of plant. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about regenerative versus like, say it's organic counterpart where organic is like check a box, yes or no. Like you either do all these things and you check the box. Regenerative is much more of a spectrum. So I mentioned that we're conventional, but at the same time, we compost 100% of our manure that comes off of our dairy and send it out to dairy farms. And it's yeah. it's really cool how it, it you get to pick every time like you do something every year is a little bit better. I mean, we have recently gotten to a lot more specific on our cover crops. We've always done cover crops, but now we're getting really like, honing it in and we'll yeah. get into the water side of things in a minute. I, I know it's kind of all over the place, but it, it's just cool. That's the cool thing about regenerative ag is there's so many ways people can incorporate it and it can mm -hmm. still make a difference because you know, the scale of it that you can, if everybody does a little bit that has a massive impact. The thing that you mentioned, Tara, which is vital here, is this is not a check-the-box approach. Uh, but the the unifying um, message of regenerative is fix the na use natural systems. So we're focusing in this film, and hopefully, and people are really catching on that it's you can call yourself conventional or whatever you want. But if you fix your systems, your land will be more productive. 
yeah, I think labeling ourselves is doing a disservice um, kind of to our industry right now, like you said, with that main goal of trying to just better our soils, better the planet, better our food system. Mm -hmm. You mentioned grazing. And I always love this because my ears perk up a little bit because our ranch is a really great example of this. We're on the border of the Nebraska Sandhills, which I'm sure you know, is a very lush, intricate ecosystem. It's like the world's largest, most intact one still. And it is that way because of cows. Like I cannot state that further, (laughs) you know, more simpler for people that land, that acreage, it's a vast part of our state and it is there and it is thriving and it is lush and it is diverse because of cows grazing it. So I always love when that gets brought into the conversation. Mm. Sticking with Nebraska, we'll just dive into the brothers that you guys featured in your film. Um, Keith and I'm spacing his brother's name, but they are from green Brian Brian, from green cover, um, which is a cover crop company. And so I kind of want to dive into cover crops because that is something both Tara and I do on our individual operations. Again, even being conventional cover crops have been something we have done forever. And so I'm excited to talk about it because we've actually had Keith to our uh, ranch here in Nebraska. We're going to start working with them to, um, just take us to the next step. Like Tara said, we've done cover crops for a long time, but it's been more basic, right? So maybe let's dive into, you know, the whole cover crop conversation. Sure. Cover crops. Uh, it's, it's a funny word, but it's simply planting most, most of the time plants that would have been there anyway. A lot of people call them weeds. They're not, you plant uh, a variety of weeds in between, if you're doing row cropping in between the row crops and in the winter and in the, in the uh, fall. So what's that do? It, it makes photosynthesis work around the year, which it can, even in the winter, you, you've got plants under there and they get a little bit of photosynthesis brought down into the soil. But if you're using cover crops in uh, grazing areas, That's also great because, again, the diverse plants that you're planting will uh, deliver different uh, sugars to different uh, microbial life. I'm not a scientist, so excuse me if I'm not getting this exactly right. You just plant those, and then you go ahead and let your animals on the land. Your soil is getting fed appropriately. Um, you know, you can do it in a row crop, but you can do it anywhere, really. You can do it in your backyard if you want. People don't have to have thousands of acres. You know, it just works. That's funny that you mentioned that you don't have to have thousands of acres. Um, one of my friends online um, has a garden and is very into cover cropping, and he actually cover crops his garden throughout the winter as well to improve organic matter. So that's, I mean, it's every little um, step. So one of the things um, I really loved in this film is the conversation around water. New Mexico, our most limiting resource in eastern New Mexico is our water. And you know, you had the conversations about water in Kenya, as well as the rancher in Mexico, who was the same rancher that we also saw in Sacred Cow. So I loved seeing him again and hearing more of his story. Uh, But really, the water conversation is what has made me so interested in cover crops. You know, in Kenya, they had the lagoon. And I feel like sometimes on farms, the lagoons can get a bad rap. You know, we are a large 
dairy farm. So we have a lagoon. But one of the things that I think people miss is we collect 100% of the rainwater on our farm into our lagoon that we're able to water our crops. We would not be able to water some of our crops if it wasn't for that recycled rainwater and the recycled barn water. Um, And so this entire conversation about water with cover crops is really about, like you said, keeping the water in the soil. So we have, we know we have less water. We have less frequent rain events. I think Nebraska is similar. We're having more intense rain events. And so we have to capitalize, like when we have those intense events and end up with three inches in 24 hours or more, how do we keep the water in the soils? And I think that is what is so crucial about not just the cover crops, improving the organic matter, all of it, as we've said, plays in together, but really that water holding capacity. That's right. And the water, you know, if you have nothing on your land, if it's one of the scraped brown fields that we might see if you're flying over this country, uh, it'll, it'll just run right off and it can get hard pan, right? Yep. So we think we have a, a water problem and yes, we do, but the water problem is not fixed by going into our aquifers and getting more water out of it. The water problem is fixed by getting every drop of water to go into the soil instead of running off or evaporating. And you do that by having actually, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? You put more plants in the ground. And I always say, uh, the, the whole thing about regenerative that I find fascinating is, is roots in the ground year round. In, in the dry areas of our world, we're not doing a very effective uh, job of capturing uh, rainwater or even uh, morning fog. You know, there's been uh, enormous uh, interest in capturing the little dew drops that come. It sounds minuscule, but it can work. People are farming in even drier places than you, I bet, on that with that. The Chihuahuan Desert's dry. Look what he's done. He's increased his herd size, I think, probably four times at this point. Yeah, I love um, his story. I feel like it is such an excellent... um, He's a great guy. Case study is all the word that can come to my mind right now. Mm -hmm. But anytime someone wants to say, you know, that ag is destroying the planet and cows are bad and you know that whole narrative I just want to show them his ranch and what he's done um, with Mm -hmm. really good practices because I feel like it is such a great example of how beneficial you know cattle can be and how important like Mm -hmm. you said tending that soil what it can really do on the water note I do think it's interesting I what was coming to mind when you guys were talking about like the water you know cover crops and the holding water capacity I do always think it is so visually striking to see I think there's probably you could google YouTube videos of where people have the different types of soil and the same amount of water and then they demonstrate how they'll pour the water in and some will, you know, water will stick in the soil. And then, you know, at the far end of the spectrum, water's just running straight through the ground. And, you know, some of these times I think we hear these concept and these words and we just think, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's all in the details though, isn't it? Yeah, it it is really, it's a powerful reminder to see, you know, what, um, what we can really do, um, with some of these practices that are at our fingertips. Um, I'm going to switch us, I guess, in a little bit of a narrative here, because I think one of my absolute favorite, which I've already said, like, I loved seeing Malloy and Megan, you know, and I did love the, you know, the Mexican, um, the ranch down there in Mexico, but 
I loved the Colorado ranching families, plural. There was a lot to this family. I think almost their feature is worth watching the film just for them alone because one of the things that Tara and I talk a lot about is I think ag innovation and how it's a very exciting time to be in agriculture and we're doing a lot of really neat things and different things. And I feel like we are just viewing maybe food and agriculture a little bit different and what the capabilities that are in front of us. And I thought this family did such a good job of bringing people back that weren't in agriculture, um, bringing multiple families back to the same plot of land and really utilizing it in a very unique way. Um, I just loved what they were doing over there. You know, they are as good as they look. Uh, I didn't live with them, but you know, we got to know each other and there's, it's a remarkable uh, system, their family system, and they they uh, attribute it to uh, holistic plan management, which is Alan Savory's brainchild. Uh, and for anyone who's on here that doesn't know Alan Savory, he was reviled for years. His uh, he grew up in um, South Africa. I can't remember the name of the place back then. I think I'm terrible with names. But uh, he was a, a game warden, and back in the 60s, the land was degrading. Maybe it was the 70s. And the idea, the solution was to shoot the animals, too many animals on the land, right? So he had to kill a lot of animals. It was like the worst thing in his life. And, uh, and he realized that the parks didn't improve. That's how this whole holistic plan management thing came about, which is now regenerative agriculture. The more animals you have on the land, the more the land comes back. But uh, the James Ranch uses those practices, but they also use the decision-making as a family that is part of holistic plan management. They had never run dairy cattle. They'd never made cheese. The two young, uh, the youngest daughter and her, and her husband, they'd never run a restaurant. But I love these people because they're like, well, let's try it, right? And it's very successful. And their restaurant is to die for. If you ever want a good hamburger, go there. I have never had a better hamburger. I'm not going to lie. Their restaurant was like on my list of things to do in Durango, Colorado. My husband and I have been trying to plan a trip to Durango for a couple years. And this, I was like, okay, it's official. We're doing it this winter. It's on my list and wanting to go. It was really cool to see. My husband is one of six boys and five out of the six are still on the farm. Um, And so absolutely related to that that concept that each sibling and each family unit has to figure out where their you know where their passions lie where they can add to the farm i think so often in ag families you know if children want to come back it you know you're splitting that pie more whereas you need to be like adding to it and and so it was just i loved i mean my dad and i really dived into that part of it i i got up to get a drink of water and i missed one of the siblings and i was like which what did they do and he was like oh they did snap peas and so it was really cool to see all of it and how they incorporate it all together to make it work you know that one piece of one business is an added bonus to another to another mm-hmm. business but their bottom line, their profit margins and all that are separate. Yes. They are separate businesses. So I think it's brilliant because then you don't have this, well, you worked harder than I did. or No, nobody says that. But you know <laughs> what I mean. Yes. Uh, the land is common. But, but the ability to make a living for your family ha- is up to each uh, family. 
Yeah. So another piece um, of this that we haven't even gotten into is on the ocean side. And this is something I feel like Natalie and I in the last month have just dived fully into between Seaspiracy and a couple of news articles that we've covered that have been about, you know, fishing and different things. I loved the conversation about the kelp, like the kelp planting. Um, we in the cattle world have been hearing for the last couple of years about how feeding seaweed can reduce methane. Um you know, in our cattle, how much they produce the enteric methane. But I never really thought about like, where will that seaweed come from? What does it look like? And so to see them planting it and then the benefits of that, that kelp and that seaweed for the ocean as well. And again, it kind of goes into that same theme that like, you know, what one product can like improve another part of the system. Like it's this entire system management instead of just focusing on a single aspect of agriculture. Um, and so I'm not going to lie when that part ended about, I wanted you to keep going. I was like, Oh, I want to know more about what he's doing. Let's hear about the mussels and the clams. And I just couldn't get enough of his, um, ocean part of it. He is one of the most, uh, innovative and brilliant people I've ever met. The other thing about kelp farming, and he says this, is you don't need that much money. A lot of young people would like to get into farming, but if they don't have a family farm or some sort of legacy, it's it's really hard to buy land, right? So I forget what his uh, what he says, but it's pretty. It's a low cost. It's a low entry cost, and uh, so he's focusing on training people all, all over the world. And by the way, there's a huge demand. Every, he said almost, I think he said to when we were there, uh, he had had, I can't tell you the number of countries around the world who wanted him to come and help. Um, and he won some sort of uh, visionary award. I think he got $2 million to help get wow. this idea out into the world. So thank God we've got people like this, right? Yeah, he it's was, really, he was yeah. very fascinating. I thought what he... It was almost one of the later things I think he said or kind of towards the end of his feature. But he talked about how we need to stop viewing land farming and mm. um, ocean farming um, separately and how that we can be working together as a whole unit. And I thought, gosh, I am guilty of that, of kind of maybe segmenting them out. But there is just so much possibility. You know, he was talking about like seaweed that being plastic instead of, you know, fossil fuels. And I was just mm-hmm. reminded again of like, there is so much potential and in innovation in agriculture. It's really, really cool to think about. I mean, we had a soybean farmer on, you know, quite a while ago that was talking about soybeans going to straws and um, for shoes and all of these, this, this capability that lies in agriculture. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. One thing that I will, will add here, uh, I'm absolutely in agreement with you is that there's a different way of thinking when you are thinking uh, about regenerative agriculture versus perhaps more conventional. I don't want to make that like a diss, but here's the difference. It's like thinking outside the box all the time. And some people love doing that. He, he loves it. Trey Hill loves it. I think the Burns brothers love it. Not everybody is like able to, or wants to do, they think that's too complicated. That's one little bit of a barrier right? If you're a farmer who's done things successfully in one way forever, and you're suddenly presented with all these new quote unquote tools, what? I'm not going to plow my land. What? I'm not, I mean, you know, plowing, a lot of farmers have adopted no plowing, but you know, you have to buy something else to stick the seeds in. Uh, You know, there's, there's, 
it's a little hard to get your head wrapped around, but it's a different way of thinking. It's um, interconnected instead of linear. You know, that brings something to mind. And I thought it was like kind of subtly hinted at throughout the film. And you actually mentioned it earlier, but it was this, this idea of generations doing it differently. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's often worded poorly. I think it is worded in a way that makes the generation before sound like they didn't do a good job, right? Like the next generation needs to do something different or fix what they did before or better the practices of the other one, you know, quote unquote, better Mm it. Um, And I think I like to view that as the idea that ag is more built on the idea of like continuously, almost continuous efficacy, right? Like we're doing more with less all the time. I think previous Mm -hmm. generations did well with what they had, and then it's our job to do better with what we have. And so, um, like you said, maybe it's out of box thinking a little bit or viewing solutions differently. Maybe we have answers or, you know, things at our fingertips that the generation before us didn't have. And so now we're able to implement them. And so I do think it's an important part of the conversation that, you know, uh, the land probably changes, the resources probably change, um, policies probably change, you know, everything is so different from generation to generation. And I think instead of viewing it like um, we need to come in and do it differently and better, I think it's just the idea that that is, it's a, it's a journey, right? Agriculture is a continuous journey to always um, just improve differently. Maybe. I don't know if I said that well, you did but. in my dad's generation, it was all chemicals all the time because life is better, right? They didn't understand the downstream consequences of using perhaps pesticides and all, uh, you know, chemical, uh, fertilizers they weren't trying to make anything bad. They were trying to produce more food and gold. Oh, darn it. They sure did. It, the green revolution fed hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people more than it had. So this is never a productive or fruitful conversation. In my opinion, almost everybody is doing the best that they know how there's some bad actors. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, and in, in this film, we didn't focus as much on the in, intergenerational issues, but we did hint at it. You know, in the Paradise Valley, the Megan and Malloy story, his dad was like, are you kidding? We're, what What are we going to do? That? You know, he was skeptical. But after the first year, he was on board. Give people a chance is what I think, you know? Yeah, it was cool to hear their story firsthand. That was definitely a piece that we got to hear about is that transition for them up there in Paradise Valley of what it looked like, you know, getting the older generation on board with, you know, new ideas. I mean, I remember when my brother came home from college even and had all sorts of new ideas, right, from my dad. And my dad was hesitant. My husband went through the same thing. But at the same time, I think that their fathers, you know, recognized like I I wanted you to go away and come back with new ideas. And now I need to be receptive to them. You know, like that was the goal was for you to go away and come back. Um, But it is a challenge, Uh, a little bit different direction, but something that really like is kind of near and dear to my heart is um, in a lot of these films, um, a piece that has been really important is the conversation around 
women and animal agriculture and the benefits it has in developing nations around the world. That's often left out. You know, when we have conversations about veganism, it comes a lot of times from kind of, you know, a United States elitism attitude of assuming that, you know, everyone has, you know, resources and access to supplements and all these different types of fruits and vegetables when the reality, you know, the little tiny bit of work I've done at the UN and seen been exposed to kind of FAO and that global picture Mm-hmm. Cattle play such a crucial role, especially for women and and being able to provide for their families and, and beyond, provide for their communities. And so I really appreciated that piece of this film and in the others as well that we've seen that have not left that out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. How about the woman in Kenya who had an acre and she was, uh, what is the name of the, that was the water story. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, that is her Boma, her farm. And uh, she had two cows, I think, you know? Yep. And uh, cattle is, for, for most of our histories on this planet, have been our, our best source of protein. I am a firm believer that uh, you can grow cattle and other animals in a way that is both good for the planet, good for humans, and good for the animals. I'm glad you brought up the female um, farmer in Africa because it's funny how you can watch the same thing and people will extrapolate different things, right? So mm-hmm. I know it was kind of about like water and she was using cover crops and you know Tara watched it and probably pulled something completely different from it from me. But what really stood out to me, I thought, gosh, how cool, how neat that this, you know, quote unquote, third world country impoverished is doing really great leading practices, right? And so for me, it brought to mind kind of the stereotyping we do in agriculture. I think we are an industry that really, um, whether it's within industry that's stereotyping and believing it, or, you know, people outside falling, you know, victim and prey to stereotypes. But stereotyping is bad. It is like, you know, if you're in agriculture and you are big, that means bad. That is a stereotype, right? Big is bad. And it is a stereotype that little farms are clean and fruitful and they're leading the way, right? So small is better. And U.S. are very unproductive. (laughs) Right. You know, and there's a stereotype that U.S. is, you know, leading and innovating and third world countries are impoverished and they need to do what we're doing. And I just thought, wow, what a great example that Mm -hmm. she's doing something really, really great. And she's in, you know, in Africa. And I just thought, We need to get rid of stereotypes and we really need to start looking at operations for what they are. Maybe that big operation is bad. Maybe the big operation is great. You know, maybe the small operation is phenomenal. Maybe the small operation is bad. Like we really need to remove, remove those labels and -hmm. those pre notions we have going into them and really just look at what is truly being implemented by that person on that operation and just take everything else out of it. So the other piece that I find really interesting about that story is 70 to 80% of our calories come from uh, small plot farms. That's crazy, right? That was another quote I actually wrote down as well in that is that, you know, percentage of calories coming from small farms that I thought was really cool. You know, kind of wrapping us up here, some of my, like, I guess my final thought is kind of ending on a similar note with uh, what you guys had train of thought of like, that farmers need to be passing knowledge on to each other. And um, there's not one way to do that. It's not a one direction, kind of like Natalie said. It's not the U.S. coming in with like the savior complex, like we're going to save the world. It's passing knowledge 
both ways, back and forth across all different spectrums, across all different industries, like listening to, you know, the aquaculture and, and the fish or the farming in the ocean, like versus land, like all of these, we need to be communicating and working together because I just think we all have so much knowledge and being able to pass that, it, that's where it creates that out of the box thinking, I think, is when you are inspired by somebody else that's doing something just a little different than you are and you you think how you could take that back to your farm. Um, and to me, that was what it was all about at the, the final moments kind of of the film was that like, you know, how do, how do we all help better each other so that we have a better food system for our entire globe? We have to be willing to look first. And look, you all are doing this work. I don't know how, how many farmers and ranchers you have who listen, but I bet you it's a lot. And you're bringing new ideas and you are uh, the fertilizers for these ideas, right? This is, uh, this is a, and as much as uh, I can sometimes be a little down on the technology, cause I think we're too attached to our, our screens um, and besides I have a, I'm terrible at technology. Um, but, uh, long story short, it does help disseminate these stories. And, you know, I, I make films. It's for the same reason. My big reason for making this film is I wanted people to see that we have a solution and it's right under our feet. And it's actually the cheapest thing we can do. I think that is a great statement to end on that idea. So if you want to go ahead and share, um, plug the film where people can watch it in case they haven't already. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, your social channels and all things to which we belong. Sure. We have, uh, Instagram. Um, well, you just look up to which we belong. I, I just got finished telling you, I'm not that good with the technology. <laughs> I have an amazing team. <laughs> Uh, but the film itself can be seen on a number of platforms. If you go to our uh, Instagram page or our Facebook page or even our website, all of them to which we belong, uh, you'll find where they are. But I know for sure it's on Apple. It's on um, uh, Am Amazon Prime. It's on Vudu. I don't know what it's on. I watched it on YouTube. Yep. You, you watched it on YouTube? I, I think well, I, you have to have YouTube subscription, but I was able to I'm, watch it. I didn't even know that. So that's very <laughs> cool. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the problem for me as a filmmaker is we used to make films that would go to theaters and then people would write about them, right? So the, that world has changed and it's not always clear who's watching where. But there's a lot of places to watch. Also, I hate the fact that you have to watch films on a TV, even if you have a big flat screen. <laughs> this is a film that's meant to be beautiful. Yeah. Right. It, it is the imagery was that's um, a note I have too, was how beautiful the imagery and scenery was of this film. Um, really a lot of breathtaking views and scenery. So um, appreciated that. And we are so thankful you came on and talked with our audience today and shared some insight into this film. We're so thankful you created this film, put that out there into the world to be able to show what farmers can truly do. Um, so thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, we will see you next week. <laughs>